Hope you are well. Thank you for coming. Thank, thank you to those of you who are joining us from uh, online, that is. Would you join me as we pray? Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus told us about you. He prepared us. He prepared his first century followers for his absence and for your presence. And he even said that it was to their advantage that he, that he go, that he depart, that he be with the Father. And he called you another counselor, one called alongside to help. Help us, Lord. I've come to believe, Lord, that the ministry of the Word is, can be as supernatural as a miracle of healing. We, we need an impartation. And I ask you, Lord, to use me and help me to be available to you, but help each of us to receive whatever you have in mind for this morning. And I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agree with that prayer, just say amen. 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 So again, the text that Pam read, like newborn babies, long, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, by the word of God, you might grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. So today we're talking about simple practices that help us to experience God. And some people would call these holy habits. But today we're talking about the practice of daily Bible reading or Bible listening. I remember years ago I was teaching about this uh, to a congregation I was serving, and I was stressing the value, the benefit of, of ingesting the Word of God, taking it in on a daily basis. And after the service, a man then in his 50s, he was probably, you know, 10 years older than I was at the time, he whispered to me, he said, I don't read. I can't read. He said, um, my wife knows, my best friend knows, and now you're the third person in the world to know. He said, I run a business. I've done well professionally. What do I do? How do I get the word of God inside of me? And I said, do you have a CD player in your car? He said, I do. And he said he spent about 45 minutes during that season of his life driving to various job sites. And so he bought the Bible on CD. And the next week, when I saw him, he was lit up like a Christmas tree. He was telling me all that God was doing because of his ability to simply listen to the Word of God. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, daily Bible reading or, or listening. Today, we're going to look at general information about the Bible that hopefully you'll find helpful, and then some simple guidelines for making sense of the Bible, because it can be complicated, it can be confusing. And we want to also look at what the Bible says about itself and some benefits you can experience from it. And also, what's the primary purpose of the Bible? Why did God give us His Word according to His Word? And then I want to share with you some of my own testimony, what the Word of God has done for me. And then I want to get down to the nitty-gritty, and we should be out of here by 12.30, 1 o'clock, no problem. General information about the Bible. The Bible is actually, it looks like one book, but it's actually a library of 66 books. And it was written by about 40 people over a period of about 1,500 years in three different languages. The ancient manuscripts include Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It's still the best-selling book ever, by far. There have been over 500 billion copies of the Bible that have been printed. 
or excuse me, five billion. A little bit of an exaggeration. And I've told you a million times I don't exaggerate. It, it includes many different literary forms. The technical word is genre. It includes historical narrative, which you'd find in Genesis and Exodus, books like Nehemiah and the book of Acts. It's got what's called poetry. We would place the book of Psalms in that category. Wisdom literature like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and, and prophecy, books of prophecy. We have both what we call major prophets and minor prophets. So people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are major prophets. Minor prophets would be people like Hosea, Habakkuk, and Malachi. Also, there's apocalyptic literature. There's, there's literature in the Bible that is very symbolic, and how you understand those books is very different than how you would understand other books of the Bible. So some of Daniel is apocalyptic. Some of Ezekiel is ap apocalyptic. All of the book of Revelation is apocalyptic. And then there's Gospels, which are really the story of Jesus. And, and theologian and author Scott McKnight says the Gospels are the Gospel. If you really want to know what is meant by gospel, just immerse yourself in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then finally, there's epistles or instructional letters. Paul wrote two-thirds of them in the New Testament. Peter wrote some. James wrote one. A man named Jude, who is believed to be the brother of Jesus, wrote some. Also, I want to add this fact. The Bible, actually I should say this, there's more evidence for the historical accuracy of the books of the Bible than any other ancient document. If you're not sure about that, it would be good to read something like Lee Strobel's book, The Case for the Bible. He's got a lot of great information to help you gain some confidence about the authenticity of the documents, especially the documents of the New Testament. And I want to share with you also some simple guidelines for making sense of your Bible. Now, some of you have been reading it for forever, and you really don't need to hear this. This will be remedial. But there are some of you who are not familiar with the Bible, and you want to make sense of it. And I want to remind you at, at the onset that Jesus had demonstrated absolute trust, what we would call implicit trust in the Scriptures. In, in the book of John, he says, he says to the Father, thy word is truth. In John 17, 17, thy word is truth. John 10, 35, he says, the Scripture cannot err. And elsewhere, he said numerous times, it is written. He demonstrated supreme confidence in the writings of the Bible. Also, I'd like to suggest that understanding the Bible is best accomplished in community under the influence of seasoned believers. And so you can count on the fact that when you study the Bible, there are going to be some things that are very, very confusing to you, some things that don't make sense. It's normal to feel that way, and when you get to know people who are further along in their journey, and some of them have been trained to unpack the Bible in its, in its historical and literary context, they can help you make sense of some of the things that you will find confusing. And I want to also suggest that if you decide to do what I'm going to encourage you to do today, which is you're going to set aside some time to read the Bible, it would be great to begin any time of Bible reading in prayer and praying something that, that a psalmist prayed, Psalm 119. The psalmist prayed, Lord, open my eyes to see wonderful truths in your instructions. Open my eyes 
We need God's help to understand his word. And then I'd suggest that when you read the Bible, focus on the Gospels and the New Testament letters because they're the culmination of everything that precedes them and they're the foundation of your faith. So start there. I think I read nothing, almost nothing, in my first three years as a follower of Jesus, nothing but the Gospels, the New Testament letters, and occasionally I would go into the Psalms and read the Psalms. But I spent those first few years just burying myself in the Gospels and in the letters of Paul and the other New Testament writers. And then I would suggest too, to anyone, however far along you are, to, to plan that when you're, you're intending just to read the Bible for the benefit of reading the Bible itself, don't aim for mastery. Don't, don't aim at that point for scholarship. I mean, you can spend time studying some other time. When I meet with the Lord in the morning to read his word, it's just to get his word in me, to, to ingest the word, to eat the word, not to master it, not to do a bunch of study. I just want to get it inside of me. And in the course of time, you're going to learn to understand the Bible in its literary context, in its historical context. You're going to learn to ask questions like, what were the first recipients of this letter that Paul wrote? What were they hearing him say? What were they hearing him say? And, and how does this apply to me. And I would also make this suggestion when it comes to some simple guidelines. Use the information of Scripture to get transformation. In other words, don't make Bible reading an end in itself. Don't read the Word of God to know the Word of God. Read it to know the God of the Word. You know, Moses prayed this fantastic prayer. It's in Exodus 33. He said to, to God, in a face-to-face in -face encounter, as much of a face-to-face -face encounter as anybody had had in, in the entire Old Testament, he said, God, would you teach me your ways so that I will know you? And he chose a word for the word know, uh, yada. And it's the very same word that we find in Genesis 4.1 where it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. It's the most experiential and intimate kind of knowing there is. So Moses is praying, I want you to teach me your ways so that I will experience you. I want fellowship with you. I want encounter with you. In Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3, we, we see this prayer. Teach me your ways so that I will walk in them. In other words, God is interested that we learn, for example, about forgiveness so that we experience forgiveness. Now, I'm going to repeat some things I've said numerous times before because they need to be said because we need to hear them again and again and again. God wants us to learn about grace so we experience grace. He wants us to learn about healing so we experience healing. Does this make sense? So use the information of Scripture to get transformation. So when you're reading about how God met someone in his or her trouble, like for example, how he met Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah was a woman who was married but was childless. And she ached to have a child and she was in despair. Because in her culture, being childless was even more devastating than in our culture today. It meant that you were under the judgment of God. People drew that conclusion, although it often was not true at all. 
and she, she poured her heart out to God. And she, she let it all hang out. And she wasn't trying to sound eloquent. She wasn't trying to sound spiritual in the way she prayed. She prayed out of her devastation and her sadness. And God met her. And when you read something like that, it's a good time at that time when you're reading to just camp there for a while and say, God, how would you like to meet me in my hopelessness, in my despair, when my dreams are crushed? Now I want to share with you a little bit about some of what the Bible says about itself and some benefits it promises. So the Bible itself says that it's inspired by God. It's literally God-breathed. Paul said this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's God-breathed. All scriptures inspired by God. Comes from God. Came through people, but comes from God. And 2 Peter 1.21 says almost exactly the same thing. Came from God through people through people. It's inspired. That means it's trustworthy. But you know, don't take my word for it. You don't have to take my word for it. It would be a good thing to talk to God about. It's a wonderful thing that we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is the person of the Trinity who influenced these writers to write what they, what they wrote. And he didn't dictate to them. You see personal personalities coming through in the writing, different writing styles. We don't believe in the dictation theory. But think about it. We can have a conversation with that same Holy Spirit. You know, if you wanted to learn the piano and you're sitting down on the piano bench and you've got your hands on the keys and you've got a book, an instruction manual, and it's going to help you learn. Maybe it's piano playing for dummies. It's probably going to be something that will help you get a start. But what if the author of that book were seated alongside of you? What if that, the author were right there and you could ask her questions about what she meant in certain chapters of the book? That's what it's like to have the Holy Spirit available to you when you're trying to make sense of the Bible. It, the Bible says about itself, it's inspired by God. It says about itself in the book of Hebrews, it's living and active. This isn't just print on page. If you begin to read the Bible, something at some point in time will begin to get hold of you. God will begin to reveal himself. Now, I remember reading a great story about a woman named Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. You can look her up on YouTube, listen to her testimony. She was a lesbian activist. And, and in the course of time, and I'm going to abbreviate this story, in the course of time, she began to read the Bible through the influence of a person in her community. And over a period of about eight years, if I'm remembering her story correctly, God began to reveal himself to her in the pages of Scripture. Now, this is her testimony, not mine. She said, God revealed to me that I'm not a lesbian. I'm his daughter. I'm his child. I drew my identity in a sexual orientation, but God showed me my identity comes from him. She learned that by just reading the Bible. It's living and active. Jesus says, and he's quoting Deuteronomy when he said it, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mankind derives life from this. And then Paul told Timothy this, that this, this word that is inspired by God, it's profitable 
It's, it, it's beneficial, and it does these things for you. It teaches you. It corrects you when you need correcting. It rebukes you when you need rebuking. It trains you in righteousness so that you can be adequate, equipped for every challenge in life. And some of you can say, amen, that's been my experience. And then in, in Psalm 19, it tells us that it converts the soul. It converts you at the core of your being. Now imagine that you want change. You want change in your life, but all of your efforts have, have been met with failure and you just aren't able to sustain change. But the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect and it converts the soul. In other words, it transforms you. It transforms you. If you truly want to experience the supernatural life of God, you need the Word of God to get inside of you. And then it provides guidance. And I'm, I'm hardly touching the service of the things the Bible itself says that, that will be beneficial to us that we read. I'm, I'm sharing with you just six things. But there's probably 50 things that you can identify in the Bible that it will do for you. And one of them is, it says it's a, it's a, it's a, a lamp to my feet, the word, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It will provide guidance for you. It will give you direction. Now let me just share this. What's the primary purpose of the Bible according to the Bible? Well, John, in John's gospel, in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he tells you what is the summary of why he wrote his gospel. But the truth is, the summary of why he wrote his gospel can apply to the whole Bible. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs than the ones we read about in the Bible. Many other miracles than the ones we read about the Bible. The, the lists that are here aren't exhaustive. Jesus did so much more. He said, so Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of this, his disciples, which aren't recorded here. And then he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why God gave us the Bible. He gave us the Bible, not so that we'd become religious, not so we'd be self-righteous, not so we'd think we're better than anybody, but so that we would experience God and really get to know him in a personal way. And I'd like to share some ways that God has used his word to, to transform my life, to enrich my life. As I read the Word, I've discovered that God cares about every aspect of my life, and He wants to be integrated into every area of my life. Now, sometimes when we think of our lives and the different aspects of our lives, we think of, of those aspects as pieces of a pie. Like, you might look at a part of your life, let's say you're an athlete, we have many athletes here, and, and so one of the pieces would be would be athletics or sports, competition. Another piece might be your family. Another might, piece might be your career. Another piece might be entertainment choices that you make. An another piece might be romance. And on and on. Let's say you've got eight pieces to your pie. Some, some people think of life that way and then they'll make God one of those pieces. God doesn't wanna be one of the pieces. He wants to be the crust underneath all the pieces. He wants to be fully integrated into your life, into every area, not to micromanage you. He doesn't want, he's not into that. That's not who he is. You might say, how do you know that? I, I know it from the Bible. 
I know it from the Bible because I read that God, God is agape. He's love. He's unconditional love. And, and this love that it, we call agape, that he calls agape actually, it's non-intrusive and non-coercive. I'm going to keep saying that. You've heard it before. Let's keep saying it. Because the Bible says that about God. Where does it say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It says, love, agape, doesn't insist on its own way. God doesn't insist on his own way. I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I'll come in. He's not intrusive. God can be resisted. Acts 7, 51. Stephen said it to his listeners. You always resist the Holy Spirit. God can be resisted. He doesn't want to control you. He doesn't want to micromanage you. But he does care about everything. He actually, he cares about your athletic career. He does. Do you know that he wants you to do your best? Do you know that it honors him when you do your best? Whether it's in your sport or in school or in your career, how do I know that? Well, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto people. In fact, I think I think it would be good for us to think about what would happen if we all gave our best effort at everything we do and we did it for his glory. So the Bible helped me see that God cares about everything and it helped me know God's character and ways just as I've described them, that he's not a micromanager and it shaped me as a husband and father. I tell you, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't read Paul's words to the Ephesians where he said, husbands, love your wives, agape your lives as Christ loved the church without, without being influenced to think, how can I do a better job to love my spouse? When I read in Colossians 4, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but raise them up in a fear and admonition of the Lord. I have to ask myself, what does that look like? And how can I grow? How can I grow into that? The Bible shaped me as a citizen, believe it or not. I, re I read Romans 13 and I, I read I need to pay my taxes. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we like talking about paying tithes, but you, you got to pay your taxes too. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not okay to rip off the government. And uh, believe me, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. But also, it's influenced me as a neighbor. When I read Luke 6 and it says, love your enemies, love. And then it tells you what love looks like. And it does not describe love as a feeling. It says, pray for them. Be kind to them. Take care of them. Bless them. Bless them. The Bible has influenced me as to be a better citizen. Part of being a citizen for me is um, being more educated about candidates and voting, actually showing up and voting. It's shaped my work ethic. I already alluded to this. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto people. It's shaped me as a giver. And as a steward of my financial resources, you know, one of the, one of the texts that kind of grabbed me by my shirt collar and just said, hey, watch this, look at this. It's in Luke 16, 10. Jesus says, he said, if you're not faithful in the management of your money, who will entrust the true riches to you? Would you like to be entrusted with kingdom riches, things that money could never buy, 
Kingdom authority, for example. Learn to manage money well. He said, if you're, if you're not faithful in little stuff, how would you expect to be entrusted with bigger stuff? Is this making sense? It's influenced the stewardship of my health and my thoughts about aging. So here's a big surprise. Big surprise to you. I know a lot of this, this will come as a shock. I am not a young man. Okay? Some of you saw me after many decades and they go, you're, you sure you're Kevin? Kevin McClure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid so. Sorry to disappoint. But it's me. It's me. Here I am. And I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go on a rant. Is that okay? I'm going to go on a rant. Just a warning, just a little bit of a warning. So over the years, I hear people as they age, they get a little, they would call it a hitch in their giddy-up, they like to say. Getting a little hitch in their giddy-up, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm getting older. And here's what I want to say, and I try not to be cranky. Don't want to be cranky. Sometimes I'll say, I'll say something like, do you mind if I respond to that? Um, do you know that there are 30-year-olds who get a hitch in their giddy-up? And do you know what they don't say? They don't say, well, you know, I'm getting older. Do you know that there are some people running marathons in their 80s? Here's a show I recommend that you watch on Netflix. Read about Blue Zones and why people in these five locations globally live into their hundreds. Why do they live into their hundreds? There's a lot to learn from people who are living not only long, but living well and are healthy. I think some of the hitches we get in our giddy-up aren't from aging, they're from poor stewardship. And I want to suggest to you that the whole concept of stewardship means we're not owners, we're managers. A steward is a manager, which means you don't own your body. Actually, the, body's, the Bible says your body doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. It's his. That means that because you're a steward or a manager of your body, someday you're going to give an accounting of how you stewarded your body to God. And it's pretty important in the New Testament. Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. So I'm not here to shame you. I don't want to shame you. It's not, as I've said before, it's not about a size. It's not about a weight. It's not about a shape. It's about health. What are you and I doing to set ourselves up for success as we age? Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm reading texts like, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. So it's influencing my thoughts about health and, and about aging. And uh, I've never had a greater desire to take good care of myself because I want to finish this life strong. You know that you have an assignment in life. That's another thing the Bible has shaped me to, to believe. Think, think about this. Ephesians 2.10. This is true of everybody, 100% of us. You don't have to be a vocational minister for this to be true of you. You don't have to be an adult for this to be true of you. You don't have to be young for this to be true of you. You just need to be a person. 
The Bible says you are God's masterpiece. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And they're not all the same good works. Some of you may, I've got a friend who's, he, he would not, he might not like that I say this, but I'm gonna brag about him. My friend is the current winningest coach in Division Three football. I didn't learn it from him, I had to read about it. He was voted last, at the end of last season as the National Coach of the Year by his colleagues. He's a Christian, he's been coaching at the same school, Bethel University in St. Paul, for 32 years. And he is a lover of Jesus. He can hardly talk about Jesus or his dad without crying. Now he had a brother who was a pastor, his dad was a pastor, but his calling is to be a coach. And all the parents of all the kids that he's coached for decades are so thankful that he didn't become a pastor. In fact, the man who had the biggest influence in my life outside of my savior and my brother Wally was a coach. He was about 5'5", 170 pounds, no neck, legs like tree stumps, big massive arms, cauliflower ears about an inch and a half thick, glasses like a four-layer cake, couldn't see, so nearsighted. He not only taught me wrestling, he taught me I mattered. He taught me I mattered. He, he, his workmanship in Christ Jesus had to do with being a coach. He thought about being a pastor, but he knew he was called to be a coach. I wouldn't have met him had he been a pastor. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. The Bible shapes you to see these things. God doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach to this stuff. You can please the Lord and be a salesperson. You can please the Lord and be a school teacher or a car mechanic. Be true to your truest self, the self God intended for you to be. That's what the Bible teaches you. This is how the Bible influences us to think. The Bible's helped me see that sin is deceptive. It's a deceptive counterfeit, and God has better ways of fulfilling me. And on and on and on. Honestly. We could, we, honestly, there are many of you here who could get up and share this better than me and tell, tell us dozens of ways how God's Word has influenced you. And I'm just going to close this message and, and just share some other things that might help us with the nitty-gritty of daily reading. I, I recommend that you do set aside some time. My recommendation and... Maybe this won't work best for you. My recommendation is to do it at the beginning of your day. Maybe it won't work out that way for you, but just do it daily. Do it daily. I like doing it first. It works better for me. When I was young, I wasn't a morning guy. I'm a, I became a morning person. I would think of my day as the concert, and I didn't want to tune the fiddle after the day. I wanted to tune the fiddle before the day. And I thought something about seek ye first might play into that. I wanted to seek first. And so I began to get up even before, we had a six o'clock wrestling practice and I found myself whole, so hungry to be with God uh, as a 20 year old. I was getting up at three in the morning to be with God for two hours and I hope this isn't bragging. I hope it's just reporting. What, what is a 20 year old doing getting up at three in the morning and spending an hour in the Bible and an hour in prayer? Because God was meeting me there. He was meeting me. He met me in those wee hours. 
He met me in the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he'll meet you because he's no respecter of persons. He, he, he blesses those, he rewards those who seek him, who seek him, it says, with all of their heart. I wonder what God feels if the only time we seek him is when it's just convenient. Set aside time. And you'll find, you know what? You'll find that's the hardest appointment to keep. There will be interference. You will learn there is a devil. If you don't know there is one, you will learn there is a devil. And he will fight you every step of the way until you establish, no, this is a priority. Even if it's only 10 minutes a day, keep it. Keep it. Turn off your devices. Turn off the phone. Close the laptop and just start reading. I suggest start with Mark's gospel. Why? It's a short gospel. It's full of action. Read for just a few minutes. Just read for a few. Try this for seven days in a row. Try it for seven days in a row. Read for a few minutes. Even if you want to set a timer, set a timer and read. And don't, don't be preoccupied with what you understand or whether you can remember what you, what you just read or, or how you're even feeling when you do it because you're learning the discipline of a daily practice. And I've found that consistent daily effort outperforms intense sporadic effort every time. If you wanted to learn a guitar, would it be better to learn the guitar playing it for three hours a day, one day a week, or for maybe 15 to 20 minutes every day of the week? I think everybody would agree, do it a little bit of time every day. If you want to get fit, would it be better to work out one day a week for several hours or a little bit every day? I remember I used to do a Nordic track when it didn't hurt my, my hips. So if you know a Nordic track, it was a, you know, one of those cross-country ski machines. And I did it. I did it religiously. I hated doing it. Never once did I feel like getting on it. But here's what I found. I found that it had the same cardio benefit for me as for the people who really liked exercising. I still don't like exercising. I used to like it when I was a college guy and I had teammates and we were working out together. That was kind of fun. But listen, when you're 70 years old, I don't know, maybe, maybe you think differently, but I exercise by myself and I've got, about, I've got 14 things that I do in 35 minutes and I'm moving and it's cardio resistance training. And, and you know what? I hate it. Every day I hate it. I only do it three days a week, so guess what? My favorite days, I don't do it on Tuesdays, Thursdays of the week, and every, every Tuesday and Thursday I wake up and go, thank God. Thank God it's not Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. But the truth is it gets the same benefit. My, my heart rate has been under 60 for a long time. It's pretty good. And I'm, and I'm mobile, more mobile than I would be if I didn't do this stuff. Guess what? Consistency outperforms intense sporadic effort every time. Consistently read the word. Just read it. Don't worry about whether you remember it, whether you understand it. Just get it inside of you. Watch what happens. Do it for seven days in a row. And then evaluate the practice at the end of a week and say, is this something I want to keep doing? Because here's what I found. I've been teaching this for literally for decades. I've been teaching this for decades. And I've asked people to evaluate that experience after a week. And I've been told, I've, I've just lost track how many people have said to me, I'm a different person. 
I'm encountering God. I'm experiencing God. And I said, you, you think you're going to keep doing it? Oh, my. In fact, one farmer in North Dakota was in my church. He'd never been a daily Bible reader. Months after I taught this in church, he said, remember that message you taught about five minutes with God every day? I said, yeah. He said, I'm getting up 45 minutes early just to be with the Lord. I spend some time in a word and then we talk, we have conversations and he's meeting me and I'm experiencing him. I had no idea the Christian life could be like this. Before that, he'd been kind of a crusty old churchgoer. You know, there's plenty of those people around. And then there are some, even some of the older people who aren't crusty. They've got the joy of Jesus. So I'm gonna invite the worship team up and when they're coming up, I wanna just say this to you who are here and you who are watching online, um, you have an opportunity this morning that could be actually very miraculous. And even if you're a veteran believer here, I'm going to ask you to do this because what's the downside? Wouldn't it be great to just say yes to Jesus today again? Say, well, I, I said it years ago, you know. I, good for you. God bless you. How about today? How about today? Say it again today, you know. My thought is if you're married and you want a good marriage, don't just say yes today when you got married, say yes today. And tell your spouse, I'm saying yes to you again today. I just want you to know, I'm saying yes to you again today. And what if today we just hold our hands up and we say, Jesus, would you pray with me? Jesus, I would like to experience you. And I want to experience the power of your word. And would you open my heart to receive the word. Would you plant the word inside of me, the word that transforms, the word that helps me to experience the God of the word. Lord, have mercy on me. And I ask it in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen?